Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we're so happy to have with us Wayne Tashjian. Yay! Hi, Wayne. Hi, Wayne. Hi, guys. <laughs> Wayne was the autism consultant for Parenthood through all six seasons of its run. And so we are overjoyed to have him here to talk about his work on the show and the representation of autism spectrum disorders on the series and anything and everything. It's just such an honor to have you here, Wayne. Thanks for having me. So where are you joining us from today? Los Angeles. And can you tell us a little bit about Team Tashjin, your family growing up and your family today? Yeah, sure. I grew up in uh, Detroit, Michigan. Two siblings, both older, an older sister and older brother. Parents were born here. My grandparents, are family's Armenian. My grandparents came here turn of the century, early 1900s. And my parents were both born here. So I'm second generation American. Um, so grew up in Detroit. At, at, I had an aunt and uncle that moved to California. So how I ended up here. I used to go come out and visit them in the summertime. And uh, went to school my freshman year in Detroit. And then my older brother, five years older, said, I'm going to California. It's so cool out there. And I grabbed his coattails and said, take me with you. And <laughs> so I came, we both moved out here together and I transferred to UCLA, did my undergrad work there. And um, that's sort of where my whole autism thing started was at UCLA. Uh, parents, um, it was a sort of a classic middle-class American family. Uh, both parents worked. My dad drove a truck for a living. Uh, my mom was a executive secretary. Uh, my grandmother on my father's side lived with us for our my entire existence there, which was interesting as far as, you know, having the family. Uh, and she was old school. She came from, you know, she immigrated to America um, and had very uh, she was a Holocaust survivor. She oh, fled wow. the Armenian, Turkish Armenian massacre. And um, so she was very protective of her family and, and that sort of carried through in the family. Pretty uneventful, nothing like the Bravermans, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty regular family. I love that. And what about your family today? Uh, married um, for 23 years. Interestingly, we don't have children. Uh, my whole career has been working with children, but we don't. And many parents have thanked me for not having children because they were sure I could never have the patience that I do with theirs if I had my own. So, Oh, I love that way of looking at it, too, because my husband and I are both teachers and we don't have children either. So I think that's really nice. <laughs> the last question we ask most guests is what their history with the show is. In your case, it's <laughs> a history unlike anyone else's. So I wonder if you could if you could tell us how you came to work on the series. Sure. So when Jason was writing the pilot, when they were working on the original pilot episode, uh, he asked me if I would come and meet with the writing team and kind of give them an in-service on what autism is and sort of the idiosyncrasies and and talk a little bit about what the character, they gave me a little bit of a, of, of a, a write-up of the show and explained sort of who Max was going to be. Um, and so I spent a couple of hours with the writing team then. And then after they finished the pilot, um, he said, I hope that was fun. I hope you enjoyed it. How about working with us on a regular basis? And I said, sure. I mean, because it was 
it was fun for me. It was such a different hat from my my real life. And I said, I'd love to do that. So that's sort of where it started. And um, I did it for the, all the seasons. Now, what was your regular kind of work life? I have a clinic in Los Angeles for behavior treatment of autism. Sort of the um, the Gabby character are the staff that work for me. Um, we do early intervention with kids in their homes. It's all based on applied behavior analysis, which was a treatment that uh, Max received. We work with the families in their homes, and we also provide assistance in classrooms, in special ed classrooms, and some regular classrooms. Kids who are integrated into school, they need assistance, and we provide those one-on-one. So I've got a whole staff of people that work for me. I mean, prior to what I'm doing now, um, I was I started in the field as Gabby. I was a direct care interventionist. You know, it, it's it, back in 1980s when I started the field was as an undergrad at UCLA. Uh, I was a psych major and I took a class taught by a guy named Ivar Lovas, who is one of the pioneers in ABA behavior based work with autism. He had a research project where we treated about 12 kids, and that was really the only, it was the start of this whole behavior treatment of autism that Gabby was doing. Uh, so I was a undergrad, took his class, signed up for his research project and worked under him for years there and worked for another agency. Then I was on private practice for many years, kind of doing what Pelican does, um, working with the families directly, seeing some kids and, and then and then grew into an agency later on. So it's been 40 years. Wow. Wow. It's amazing. Uh, what was the nature of your work on the show at once it was kind of up and running were you interacting mostly with with the writers or was it with max burkholder or yeah so what i would i would get the original draft of the episode of each episode you know weeks months before they uh, began actual production of it the first draft and i would read through the first draft and give comments and feedback and suggestions to the scenes that involved Max or any of the, the parent scenes that involved autism. And they would take it or leave it. <laughs> they were very conscientious about, they wanted accuracy on the show. And it took a little while. It took a few episodes for me to kind of, you know, realize, okay, it's not a documentary. This is a dramedy. <laughs> There's, you know, it's, you know, we, we want to, we want to, we want to portray it accurately, but it's not a documentary. And so it, it took a, a little while for us us to mesh. I kept saying, no, you wouldn't do that. But, <laughs> but, they, but they were really, they were, they were unbelievable as far as taking the feedback and integrating it. And so whenever possible, it worked out really well. And, and then once the script was finished and they were about to begin production, I would then meet with whoever was directing that episode. They used a number of different directors over the years. So I would meet with the director and Max and Usually one of the producers would, would also be in that meeting and we'd go through uh, my notes. We'd go through the scenes that, you know, involved autism or Max and sort of just discuss those. And I elaborate a little bit on my notes. There wasn't a lot to say. I gave some, I gave them some pretty comprehensive notes each episode, um, but we would go through that. And that was sort of the end of it. I dropped by shoots once in a while, if I knew there was a really cool scene, I would go check it out. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. Max was amazing. Um, he picked it up so quickly and just consumed the character. 
and you know he, he had it. I mean, by the third season, it was like they didn't really need me. It was just still kind of. I mean, it was they needed me for the the concept, but the directors and the and the actor really kind of had it down by that point. So cool. Did you ever get to inspire a specific storyline or something? Like, did you ever say? this might be an interesting idea to explore. And then weeks later you get a script and you go, ah, oh, they used it. Um, yeah. You know, I can't remember. I can't remember specifically, but I think so. I think I did. <laughs> Cause we would elaborate uh, once in a while. I would meet with the writing team, which was really fun. I joked about, I can't believe you guys get paid for doing this because they, they have so much fun doing it. But, and they, you know, they said, if you tell anybody, we'll have to kill you. Because <laughs> 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 they were, they really had a good time. So we would talk a little bit about, I, you know, like the beginning of the season, we would talk about where things are going to go. And so I can't remember specifically, but there might have been some sort of storylines that I suggested. But they, but the the writers were amazing. They did so much research. When I went in to meet with them, uh, it was clear that they already knew a lot. Well, speaking of Max Burkholder, his performance really is incredible right from the beginning. But I also have been wondering lately, largely because of this controversy around Sia and her film music, casting a neurotypical actor in that role. Do you know if they ever saw actors on the spectrum for Max? And did you ever have any reservations about having a neurotypical actor in the role? I realized this was yes. 11 years ago. Yeah, that, I, I think that's that's exactly right. They didn't exist back then. There really weren't kids on the spectrum that were acting like there are now. I mean, there are lots of them now, and there's some amazing shows out there that are doing that. Jason is actually in production. You probably already know that he, he's in production on a new show that involves autism. Well, and, you know, Caleb and I have had a lot of conversations over the years, not even for the podcast, but just, you know, just because we like to talk to each other about representation and how that shifts over time. Yeah. You know, how many, you know, actors would receive Oscars, you know, um, for a portrayal of like like a gay character and how important that was for the time, even if it was like a straight actor portraying. And and yeah, things shift, I think. Yeah. They didn't. So they're there really weren't actors available at, that I know of back then. So you had to use a, a neurotypical person who was a really good actor. Uh, but there are more and more opportunities for using people on the spectrum in roles, and we're seeing it, which is, which is terrific. One of our previous guests had a background as an ABA therapist, and she had told us that if you've met one kid with autism, you've met one kid with autism. <laughs> Just really driving home the point that everyone is unique and their qualities and difficulties <laughs> manifest in their own ways. And it made me wonder, I, I'm sure once there was this character on a primetime network show, you felt some responsibility to portray that experience accurately. But how did you balance representing those experiences with knowing that you were creating a specific character who couldn't speak for everyone's experience. Yeah. So, I mean, we, you sort of look at it, it. Autism is a hugely wide spectrum, which is why we're seeing the numbers as large as they are today. It didn't use the spectrum. Wasn't nearly as wide 40 years ago, 20 years ago. It continues to widen. 
And so you sort of have to, I mean, if you look at it that way, there are so many different forms of it. You see what, like your friend said, there's, you've seen one, you've seen one. So we try to pick a character at, at a given functioning level of autism and try to focus on what, you know, there's more similarities within functioning levels, right? If you see, if you're in one wavelength there, you will see other people who are very similar. So mm. it's not like there's, it's not a snowflake. I mean, it's, I guess they are snowflakes, but there are some snowflakes that look similar to each other. They're not all, you know, 100% different from the others. Yeah. Well, let's maybe dive into this specific episode. Sure. Today we're discussing Parenthood Season 2, Episode 18, Qualities and Difficulties. It was written by Bridget Carpenter, directed by Bob Berlinger. It originally aired on March 1st, 2011. And here is the NBC synopsis. Adam and Christina find it difficult to talk to Max about his Asperger's syndrome and come to Dr. Pelican for guidance. Sarah revisits her relationship with Mark Sear when she goes to him for help with her latest project. Elsewhere, Crosby attempts to mend his relationship with Jasmine, while Julia and Joel prepare to celebrate their eight-year anniversary. Just reading that synopsis, it occurs to me that uh, you know, we've had several guests on who mentioned that the term Asperger's syndrome isn't used anymore and that it was in 2013, it was taken out of the DSM. Was there ever any discussion about discontinuing the use of it on the show? Yeah, it, it's still used for, for diagnostic purposes. It's not the, what the DSM five is the latest version of the diagnostic manual and prior in the last edition of it, DSM four it differentiated autism and Asperger's. They were separate, although very similar. And when DSM-5 came out, they were combined and it was all, everything is under the autism umbrella. So diagnostically, a person wouldn't be diagnosed with Asperger's specifically, they would be diagnosed with autism. But the term is still used. It, it, it still, there's, it provides a little bit of a picture of, of what the person is. It's, when you hear when you think of a person with Asperger's versus autism or high functioning autism, there's a little bit of a difference there. So it's it's still used, and there wasn't any reason to, to change it at that point. And do you think that's why they diagnostically they put it under the autism umbrella just so that it wasn't seen as something entirely separate? It's a form of autism. Part of the reason actually was for services. Um, Asperger's, because it wasn't considered autism, those people who were diagnosed with Asperger's didn't qualify for lots of services that are available for people oh. with autism. Um, so it was helpful for some families to, to access services given that diagnosis. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Well, first off in this episode, we this picks up almost directly after the end of the previous episode when Max overhears by accident that he has this thing called Asperger's. How common is it for children not to know that they have this diagnosis or do they just grow up with it as a fact of life? It's fairly common for them not to know until they're told. That is often the case, probably not because they don't hear that word spoken at, from time to time. I mean, there could be a, a situation similar to what happened in that episode. But from my experience, the hearing of it in those situations 
don't sort of, uh, they weren't as blatant as when um, Peter sort of blurted it out. <laughs> so it kind of just slides by a lot. And most often it's, it's a situation more like what they, the family did later on and sat down with them. And, you know, that's, that's usually when they're told. And usually the timing on that is typically when it's pretty obvious when the person has kind of figured it out and they start asking their parents, you know, why am I struggling socially so much? Why is that? Why am I? They start noticing those differences and the struggles and they start questioning, you know, why is it hard for me to fit in? Why can't, why don't I get it when they say things? And so that's usually, that's the time when you want to try to open it up and, and let them know. Well, Adam and Christina are clearly caught off guard oh for this gosh. discussion. Here, <laughs> here's their first attempt at talking to Max about it. Well, what's Asperger's? Well, Max, Asperger's is a form of autism. What's autism? People who have autism are called autistic, yeah. and but some people have disabilities. Max, and it's Asperger's not really a is a form. It's not a disability. Honey. It's a syndrome. It's a syndrome. Your brain—it just works a little bit differently than other people's. No, it, yeah, right. It just it it processes you, things. You're just wired differently than everyone else. I don't have wires else. inside of me. You, know, you don't. That's just an expression. I have muscles, and I have capillaries, right. and I have nerve endings, uh -huh. and I have blood, and I have yep. bone. And they all work perfectly. We just all have tough stuff that we have to deal with in this world, and for you, Asperger's, it's just one of those tough things. Mm -hmm. And nobody's sure why it happens or... And no matter how tough it or, seems, or, you just have to know that your mother and I, we love you, and we are here for you, and we always will be. Always. Do you want... Do you have any questions, honey, or... Do you guys have Asperger's? <laughs> Daddy, I don't have it. Does Hattie? No, Hattie doesn't have it either. Just me. Yeah, they, so mom and dad totally got an F minus on that attempt. I, mean, that was, <laughs> I was gonna <laughs> ask you to grade it. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't have handled that much worse than they did, which was, you know, that's what it was supposed to be. I wondered why Christina cried. I say this as someone who cries constantly, so no, no judgment there. <laughs> it's you but, really but love I was, the show, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's my fix. <laughs> but it made me wonder, like, was she just so upset that this was how they had to tell him, like, in a you know, like with with Crosby messing up and you know, kind of like they didn't have a chance to prepare it, and she was upset about that, or was she only thinking of? the negative, you know, like, I just wondered what was having her so emotional about this because I feel like she sees the good in Max all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I would, it would just be my guess. I don't know. This is something we talked about, but I don't think they felt like they messed it up as badly as that. And I think she was just, you know, she could, she's saying all these things that are, that he's going to have to struggle with and tell him. And that was, that's, I think that's where the hurt comes from more than, I, you know, I, oh, I'm not doing this correctly. That makes sense. 
Oh, and see, and I, I perceived at least a healthy dose of this is not how I wanted to have this conversation. You know, if we've been able to prepare or, or, or just that she was emotional from everything that had been going on. Like they just lost Gabby. Crosby was just in there yelling, calling Gabby a babysitter, which is so insulting. And right. I, I just felt so bad for them. I especially found it touching that moment after Max leaves and Adam is trying to physically comfort Christina and she pushes him away mm-hmm. and she says, I'm not mad, mm-hmm. but something about that. I just thought, yeah, when, when you feel like, Oh, I just really botched that <laughs> and I got to sit in this horrible feeling for a second. Well, and it's so rare for Adam and Christina to disagree too. Like, I think she immediately is like, we've got to go back and do that again. Like maybe even, for sure after they talked to Dr. Pelican, but I wondered if it was even before then. Like if she immediately wants a do-over and Adam's like, well, that's done. Thank God that was hard, but at least it's over. And she's like, I don't think it was. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) Is there any sort of typical response from kids once they learn what Asperger's or autism is? Or or does that have a wide range as well? That's a really good question. There is the wide range. There isn't. Typically, I'm, I'm rarely, I've been in the moment a handful of times. Uh, mostly, it's more like, like Pelican did consult and you want the family to do it. Um, sometimes it's with the therapist uh, in, in front with them. And there usually isn't like this aha response. It usually takes a little time to settle in. But within a short period of time, we often see a sign of relief. Mm. It's like, oh, you know, so I'm not damaged. I'm not broken. It's just who I am. And there's a, and there's an explanation for it as opposed to the frustrations of the struggles and not knowing where they're coming from and feeling like, oh, I'm just stupid. I can't, you know, I keep doing this the wrong way all the time and I can't control it. And so oftentimes there is a bit of relief that there's a, there's an explanation for it, you know, and, and it's helpful for parents similarly a lot of times they're when they're in denial they're, of the their child's diagnosis and they take blame for it. They think they've parented the kid wrong and you know there's the unknown. And once there's an understanding of there's a neuro, you know, neurological explanation for it, there's sometimes there's a relief even with the parents as well. So that's often eventually the kids get to that point. And then some of them is like, whatever, you know, it's there it is. <laughs> Okay, well, what are we having for dinner? (laughs) I wondered if one reason it was an F minus, in your opinion, is like you just said, it can be a relief to have an explanation, but there was really no explanation. There was, you know, Adam calling it a disability and then correcting himself. And there was Christina crying. And so it was like they were just launching all of this upsetting, you know, emotion at him. And he didn't really know how to navigate it. I loved that he asked if they had it and if Hattie had it. I thought that was so perceptive of him. And they were just like, no. And then he just left, you know, and I thought, oh, this didn't really explain anything, did it? And and that was sad. Yeah, it was all negatively based. They didn't, you know, they they were just talking about all the bad stuff and none of the, the positive attributes. Of it. That was really where they, they kind of botched it up. And Max saying, oh, just me, it reminded me of, I'd heard Ellen DeGeneres right around the time she came out saying that, you know, when you grow up gay, you're not just a minority in society, you're a minority in your own family. 
Mm-hmm. And that is one of the unique aspects of that, of I have no one I can be in this with who I can relate to. And you know, so Max realizing that in that moment really broke my heart. Yeah, it, it, it makes you feel dysfunctional. You know, it's like, oh, well, I'm the broken part of this family. Nobody else is broken. It's, so it must be worse, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. getting why Christina was crying. <laughs> uh. Well, you you mentioned parents being in denial earlier about about their children's diagnosis. I felt that in Adam and Christina's scene with Dr. Pelican. I said that he was wired differently. I, you know, I, I told him we loved him, and I knew that it was a tough situation. What the hell are you supposed to say to him? Well, you want to be simple, descriptive, upbeat. Emphasize some positive aspects of having oh, Asperger's. Yeah, the positive aspects of Asperger's. I'm sorry, those weren't occurring to me in the moment. I mean, is this seriously your advice to be upbeat? It's a suggestion that I believe helps, yes. Well, I'm sorry. It was an emotional situation. I was doing the best I could. I mean, Christina I was crying. It was late. I just finished shouting that he had Asperger's. I didn't know he was there. Christina, you cried. Yeah, I cried. Wait, but okay. are you really getting judgmental I because mean, she was feeling emotional? It's okay, honey, I just want to hear no, what of course not. It's fine. completely natural. I promise you, I'm not being judgmental. I'm, I'm looking for something that I think will help. I know are it's Are you here. saying that I shouldn't have cried? I mean, I didn't really plan crying on... Crying implies that having Asperger's is something to mourn, right? We want to be sending a message that Max is like everyone else. He has his strengths. He has his challenges. Asperger's is a part of that. Okay. Great. All right. Well, she cried. I called it a disability. We blew it. I think that's clear. So what do we do now? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, you got to be joking. I mean, are we the, I mean, are you seriously, this is your advice? I mean, are we the only parents to have ever screwed up this badly? Adam seemed really resistant to, you know, what Dr. Pelican was saying about the positive aspects of Asperger's. And I'm a little embarrassed to say I felt like I could relate in a way I think that the practical side of my brain would think if I were a parent, I would want my kid to have just the easiest path through life possible. And I think I would think any deviation from quote unquote normal is just going to be a challenge for them. And I don't want them to have that challenge. And I think that's where Adam's coming from. And it's it's hard for him to realize that's not the best way to look at it. Do you see that a lot in parents who who think I have to help my kid with this burden? Sure. I mean, especially early on. And, you know, it's there's you've got to go through it's sort of a loss of the expectation when you have a child of what it's going to be. And then there's another course taken and you and you have to address and you've, you've got a different person than you expected. Um, and you have to sort of come to terms with that and then be able to move forward with it. And I think that's a struggle for a lot of families. You know, something that we commented on a lot when we first started, you know, this podcast is I think I in particular kind of bumped every time Adam or Christina said there was something wrong with Max. And I thought that was such an interesting phrase that I was like, that's not how we should describe this. But then I thought that's probably a pretty honest emotion, you know, like probably they're trying to get at how some parents might have described it initially. And and I wonder if Adam's reaction shows that he hasn't maybe 100% grown past that way of thinking, mm-hmm. because 
he keeps calling it spin, what Dr. Pelican is saying. And I love that Christina's like, that's not what this was at all. You know, like there are <laughs> positive, you know, aspects of this. And, and, you know, Adam was even dismissing those positive aspects. Quality, humorous in a unique way. Meaning no one gets his jokes. Quality, exceptional at remembering things that others can't. Things that other people don't care about. Bugs, the, the, the lifespan of a particular insect or the, the wingspan of a flying cockroach, who cares? That's I what that means. I care. Difficulty, reading other people's cues. I think this is a good start. Well, I don't. I think it's a bunch of positive language. That's all it is. It's a lie. That broke my heart. I'm like, that's who your mm -hmm. kid is, you know? But then I thought, who am I to say that broke my heart? I have no children at all. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, I mean, the Adam character has always been behind as far as acceptance and dealing with it, right? When the whole first season, he was struggled with it all. So he's always farther along. And it's sort of a guy thing, you know, that, mm. I mean, look at, um, uh, I'm blanking on his name, the grandfather. Oh, Zeke. Zeke, <laughs> you know, he's totally, yeah. you know, right? He's been, I think it was season six before he finally came around. <laughs> that's a fairly typical, um, you know, men with the son, there's that whole part of it. And so that, makes it a struggle as well. Yeah. Wow. That honestly never even occurred to me before that Max is Adam's only son and that there would be, like you said, the difference between your expectation and reality that he might have thought, oh, my son's going to be a Braverman, typical guy's guy, which I'm sure is in that judging from what we know of Zeke. I'm sure right. Adam grew up with exactly right. that expectation on him. Exactly. Wow. You know, there's a moment where Adam says to Christina, you know, she wants to have the talk again. And he says, well, Max is processing it and, and we should just give him time. And that certainly might be the case. But it just occurred to me watching that on so many issues, when you've gotten used to things just being a certain way and they basically seem fine, it's always so much easier not to talk about it sure. than to have the difficult conversation. It's so yeah. tempting. Like, every, sure. we're good, right? Let's just keep going on autopilot. Fix it if it's broken. If, it's, if it blows up, we'll have to put it back together, but avoid it at all costs. It's just like, why, right. why do you want to reach out and grab that? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good point. Because we talked a little bit, there was an episode in season one where Max is part of that walkathon to raise money for autism, but he doesn't realize he has autism. You know, he's like, we got to help those kids with autism. And they're all like, I don't think we're going to tell him. And that was the same episode where Dr. Pelican said, Max will let you know by asking questions. You know, he'll let you know when he's ready to know. I wonder where he got that from. Yeah, <laughs> right? I love that. You, when you were saying that, that's all I could think of. I loved it. But like, I thought it was so interesting because at the end of that episode, Max even asks Adam, he's like, why did we pick autism? Plenty of other, you know, charities. And I thought, there's a volley to Adam but I didn't think it was a mistake on the show's part. I was like, that shows us that even when it's sort of volleyed to Adam, Adam's like, nope, I'm going to avoid it. I, I, you know, I'm, he's doing exactly what Dr. Pelican said he was going to do, and I'm not ready. And so it is extra interesting, I think, that in this season their hand is forced. You know, they, they didn't get to choose when to have this conversation, which makes it more dramatic and like a TV show. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, when we get to this scene between Adam and Max, I feel like 
savvy viewers were probably watching it like a horror movie. Like, don't make promises you can't keep, Adam. Max, what if I told you you didn't have to go to school today? But I do. It's Thursday. You don't. You don't have to go to school today. Yes, I do. It's Thursday. What if instead of going to school, you and I go to Galaxy Point Park and ride roller coasters all day long, just you and me? How's that for a surprise? Come on. I don't like surprises. Okay. You remember the Velocirator? Uh-huh. Scariest, fastest ride in all of Northern California. Yeah, I know. Uh, it says so on the poster. Yeah. That was your favorite. You wanted to ride that like a dozen times. It's the one on the Mobius track, right? That's right. The one that goes forwards and backwards? That's right. Could we go on it more than once? We can go on the Velocirator as many times as you want. We'll only break for meals, okay? We will go on the Velocirator until the park closes. You may never want to go on the Velocirator again. What do you say? Okay. Yes! Yes! All right! Awesome! Don't do it, Adam. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, no. Oh. You know, it's funny because when, we, when we're working with kids, one of their biggest struggles is disappointment when things don't go the way they're supposed to go, right? That's, that's one of the big challenges. And so we teach them to deal with disappointment. But we do it systematically. You know, we'll we'll present, you know, we'll start with, we're going to go get a bag of chips, but you know what? There may not be any left. And if there isn't any left, we'll have some Fritos instead. So you sort of, you set it up and then you try to hedge those disappointments and get them to be able to tolerate a little one and then a little bigger one and and gradually up to, you know, and then we, we also, at the same time, we teach them appropriate responses for different for different kinds of disappointments and you sort of rate them from one to 10. And so if, you know, if you break a shoelace, that's probably a one, you go, that's not a big deal. And all the way up to, if you're going to go to the theme park and ride this, your favorite ride of all time. And you, you know, it's like, they just put that up to a 20 on a scale of 10. Right. Right. Oh, and and without saying anything like this, you know, there's a chance you always want to be prepared because Something could happen. So, yeah, he, he kind of blew it there. And it felt like he blew it because he wasn't, I don't want to sound too harsh, but because he was actively trying not to think of Max as a person with autism. You know, the whole point was, I think, to kind of, well, we had this upsetting week where we had to confront this. Let's escape it. Let's run away from it. Let's go have a day where it doesn't exist. And it, that can't happen, you know? And, and so I think... That's the part that really broke my heart is he was trying to give his son this, like he says later, tearfully, like a beautiful, happy memory. Yeah. But he was trying to do it in a way that was, yeah, not really taking into consideration what Max needs. Like from the moment that Max says, I don't like surprises, I thought, oh, no. Yeah. Well, yeah, Max is even <laughs> warning him all throughout. That. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to go to school. Yes, I do. Yeah. Like, Max right. knows. <laughs> he knows what's best for him. Yeah. Uh. I also have to insert that I'm a bit of a roller coaster nerd. So I instantly recognized that the Velocirator was a Vacoma boomerang, which is a <laughs> a model that is at lots of theme parks all over the world. And this, from what I could tell by the coloring and stuff, and then I did a little Googling, it looked like they were actually at Knott's Berry Farm. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. On a boomerang ride that I think has since been removed from that park. So if you want to ride the Velocirator, as they called it, you can. <laughs> <laughs> None of us can, you know? Well, I didn't want to. If Max can't, I don't want to either. <laughs> there you go. Well, Melissa, you mentioned this scene 
where Adam apologizes. And I wanted to at least make one comment on that. I'm sorry, Christina. I don't know what I was thinking. You were thinking you wanted to have a good time with your son and connect with them. And you did. Yeah, I was just trying to get him out of the house and he had to have his particular pair of shoes. And I, I didn't want him to feel limited, you know. And I, I just wanted to forget about everything for one damn day, you know, and show him that we could go out and have a happy memory. It's okay, honey. You know, I just didn't want him to feel so alone. He had fun. Here. Anyway, I think you're right. I think that we should try to talk to him again about his Asperger's. Okay. I think that's a good idea. And we can use the Pelican script as a guide. <laughs> okay, as a guide. You're a great dad. I have my moments. You're a great dad. <sighs> I'm fascinated by how Adam and Christina counterbalance each other because on a whole number of situations, we've seen one of them kind of spiral out of control or overreact <laughs> about something. They very rarely both do it, mm -hmm. though. Like with Alex, they both kind of <laughs> spiraled out <laughs> of control and that ended in disaster. But Usually, if Christina is freaking out, Adam is calm. And if Adam is nailing Hattie's windows shut, Christina is saying she's a normal teenager. Calm down. And I just loved through through all of this, Christina clearly was so even keeled. And she kind of was giving Adam room to have his freak out. And then she didn't say, I told you so, oh. when it was done. She was so loving I just think that's a really interesting dynamic and that Adam, it's so clear everything he does, even when it's so misguided, it all does come from a beautiful place. He just doesn't always seem to have the best uh, tools to do really what's best for his son. Well, and I'll say Adam and Christina never remind me of my husband and me ever. But in this moment, they kind of did. And I think it's because, as I said earlier, I cry constantly. I'm very emotional. <laughs> and it's sort of how I process things. And my husband, Mark, almost never does. And so when he does, it's so rare that I want to give him all the room I possibly can and all the support. And I just... I would never say I told you so in a moment like that. And I just really thought we've really not seen Adam cry. I, I couldn't think of a single time the whole show where he actually tears up. Christina constantly, like me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I thought this must really convey to her just how big of a deal, you know, like that just, it, it felt very like, like maybe that was part of why she understood where he was coming from because it, he's so strong all the time. That's his whole character. He's stoic. He's someone who fixes everything. He, he doesn't do this. He doesn't let himself do this. It's pretty clear how hurt he was since she's really stepped up. Yeah. And then I thought their do over, let's get a grade from you <laughs> yes. about this. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember last year when you went to occupational therapy to get more comfortable in your body? Remember that? Mm-hmm. And you know how you've been working with Gabby, and she's been helping you learn how to play with other kids. Yeah. 
Well, you've been working so hard at these things because you have Asperger's syndrome. You guys already told me that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we did. But what we haven't had the chance to do is to tell you about all the special abilities that people with Asperger's have. Like, for example, you have an amazing memory. And you have read every book ever written about pirates. And you're passionate about insects. You've always been able to memorize every fact about every insect. And that's all because of the Asperger's. But there are some things that are a little bit more challenging for you as well. You know, like you had to learn to remember to look into people's eyes when they're talking to you or to smile at someone when you meet them for the first time or to stay calm if somebody has a different idea than you. And, you know, sometimes these things come a little bit easier to other kids, but you've really had to work at them. And we know how hard you've worked to learn them. You're a rock star. Well, I always have it. Yes. Yeah, you will always have an amazing memory and you will always be passionate about the things that you're interested in. And those social skills that your mom mentioned, those will always be things that you just have to remind yourself about. I actually have a couple of books here. Dad and I have been reading that talk about autism. And this one here was actually written by a boy who's a couple years older than you, who has Asperger's syndrome. It's a really interesting book, and uh, we will sit and read these with you if you want, or if you want to read them by yourself and ask us questions. We're learning together, all of us. So this is all new for us, too. And we're proud of you, Max. So proud. Every day. Don't, don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> So what grade would you give their do-over? Uh, a plus. They they killed it. They really did a great job there. They you know, it, it was a total reversal from the first time, and they just handled it perfectly. I'm assuming you consulted a, <laughs> on that specific conversation a little bit, a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> be kind of funny if you're like, well, they didn't say exactly what I told them to say. <laughs> well, I, I actually helped on the the other side of it too. They, you know, if they really want to screw it up, they could say this and they could say that. <laughs> That's kind of fun because you don't get to do that very often. I bet where you're no. like, let's screw it up on purpose. <laughs> Uh, you know, um, a little side note, something that made me laugh about that um, beautiful scene that I agree. I mean, it seemed like a masterclass in how you want to do that. But it was so important to Christina that she not cry. She kept saying, I didn't cry. But she's like literally got tears in her eyes as she says, I didn't cry. <laughs> so I also thought it really didn't feel like positive spin at all. Because some, some of the examples they went over earlier in the episode I at least understood where Adam was coming from. He's like, I don't want to make it sound like we're trying to convince him he won something. That's like, okay, fair. But when they actually did it, it didn't feel that way at all. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like spin. It felt like they were just contextualizing yes. everything. Here's the qualities. Here's the difficulties. It's all part of the picture. And I especially loved that at the end when Christina gave Max the book, that she said, we're all learning together. It felt like a nice nod to what he had said mm -hmm. earlier. Oh, just me. And yeah, he is the only one with autism, but that doesn't mean he's going through it alone, that she said, we're all learning. I thought that was a great touch. 
It was really beautifully done. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm again, just so happy to have you here to talk about it, but also just to tell you how much, you know, this show means to us and this character and the, the whole family. It's just beautiful. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Well, what kind of feedback have you gotten from viewers or parents of children with autism about the show? Not a lot. Actually, the, the biggest feedback I got was one family sent me an auto harp. Um, it was it was sort of a they were fans of the show and it was a family owned business that they made auto harps. And um, they sort of wanted to thank me for what I did on the show. And they sent me an auto harp. It was very so we, we donated it to a music class. And but yeah, that. Some of the feedback I got, it's been so long. It, it was mostly really positive because they, they, a lot of families felt that it did bring accuracy to it. And, you know, there's always, because it's such a wide spectrum, you know, there's criticisms as well that, you know, why are they, and this happens in real life as well, that, you know, there's challenges at every level. And some family that has a child who's very severely, affected to having lots of struggles might say you know what are they crying about they've they've got it easy compared to us and so um you know and you sort of have to go back to this is there's challenges at every level so but overall i think the feedback was really positive i, I was really proud of the work we did it was it was fun were there any examples before this show of characters on tv that you either looked to or or tried to consciously avoid. I was trying to think if I'd ever seen a character with Asperger's or autism before this show on TV, and I don't think I yeah. had. You're too you're too young, but many many years ago there was a show called Saint Elsewhere, and there was a a kid. I actually worked on that show too, which you was did? really weird. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, I was that was really interesting. I just totally fell upon that. I wasn't I wasn't into the field for very long at all. I was living in Malibu and I think I may have just finished school. I was young in my career at it. I was bartending at a local restaurant up there. And one of the actors, Ed Flanders, uh, used to come in all the time and we used to chat. And I told him, you know, that this is what I did. I was a therapist. And he said, oh, I'm on this TV show and there's the kid with autism on the TV show. And next thing I know, he came and he says, hey, I got you <laughs> come in and, and, and meet with us and, and so I, I did a similar consult on that show but between that and there's so much now I mean there's so many characters now um, since parenthood Rain Man obviously was was probably the first uh, which was wonderful that really sort of brought autism into into the light but there weren't there weren't many before that St. Elsewhere, I've never seen, but I know of it simply because it's one of those like most famous series finales ever, right? And it didn't it really involve him? Like at the end, that kid picks up his snow globe and he like shakes it and the whole town is in the snow globe. And like anyway, it was like mm. like it was like all part of his imagination, the whole show. If I I might be is that right? D d anyway, whatever. I, That's <laughs> I don't remember. That was so long ago. So long ago. Just wait till yeah. you get to it. <laughs> okay. You're going to forget <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, that's cool. That's very cool. Well, I especially loved that at the end of the last episode, it felt like things were so chaotic and it left such a mess. 
And that, but by the end of this episode, the element of this story, uh, you know, Max's Asperger's, it felt really well handled, not in a tied up with a bow kind of way. It didn't feel too easy because we saw them struggle all throughout this episode and we saw them try and not succeed and then learn and try and do better. And it, it felt like a really happy ending that was earned. And the fact that they achieved that in 43 minutes mm-hmm. without feeling like simplistic or pat was really impressive to me. Especially the episode before this was just on every front. So, so upsetting that it was nice that they really kind of made the best of it so quickly. (laughs) And I think you're right. It wasn't just this storyline, like you said. There was a real peace or solace, might be a better word, in every storyline, even ones where everything is still broken apart, like, like Crosby and Jasmine. You know, at least Jasmine is more vulnerable than we've ever seen her and, you know, crying with her sister-in-law and just letting herself be comforted, you know? And so even though it's not like everything's fine in every storyline across the board, it is very much like we put you through the ringer last week, audience, and we know that. (laughs) So (laughs) this week we're going to maybe give you a little bit of comfort. Another thing that struck me about this episode, I feel like Parenthood has so many characters. So there's usually always at least three stories, like, an A story, a B story, a C story. This felt maybe the most imbalanced of any episode yet, where Max's storyline really felt like the main story. And yet I I probably shouldn't have used the word imbalanced because it didn't feel that way to me. It felt like, well, that's that's the most immediately concerning plot line. That's the one I care about most. So Yes, let's focus on that. It didn't feel like the other storylines got short shrift. It just felt like they were going where the storytelling led them. But it led to the structure that felt a little bit new for the series. Yeah, at one point, since I knew we had you on, Wayne, and everything, I almost wrote you, Caleb, and I was like, let's just only get clips from Max's storyline. We don't even need the rest. And then I was like, no, (laughs) there's good stuff. I mean, come on, Jason Ritter's in this episode. I love him. (laughs) We got to discuss other stuff. But but yeah, I mean, I was like, that's so meaty that I was like, I don't even know to what extent we should cover the rest. And then, of course, I was like, that's silly, because I loved (laughs) everything else that happened, too. It was really beautiful across the board. Yeah. That's one of the, one of the beauties of the show is that there are so many different storylines going that you're constantly engaged with something. You can't get bored because there's so much going on, which was a real tribute to the writers for them to combine that many different storylines into a show is a lot of work. Yeah. And you know, one thing we've noticed having guests who up until now have been friends of ours, which have been really delightful, but yeah, but um, I don't think we've had a single guest who came on and said, yeah, I couldn't relate to this at all. You know, like there's, there was nothing that, that, I mean, that's what's been so enriching about doing this for us personally is I think when I first started, I was like, oh, it'll be fun to revisit a comfort TV show that we love and spend time together doing it. I'm a little taken aback at how much I feel like I've kind of learned about my friends and about myself, like, because we are talking mostly about the show. Everything's anchored with the show, but it's making us reflect on our relationships with our parents and our siblings and, you know, why we've made certain choices in our lives that we've made. And and I don't know of a lot of shows that do that. You know, often it's fantasy or escapism, but this is something more, I think, 
it's it's relating uh, to something. And to do it for six seasons is really unbelievable. I mean, that's to carry it on that long and still be fresh. You know, usually it's after two seasons, it's like okay, you know, there's nothing <laughs> else, to, nothing else to do. But they they definitely moved it along and they created new storylines. And yeah, well, let's touch on these other storylines in this episode. Probably the the next most significant one was also fallout from the previous episode, mm. but this was Crosby trying to clean up his messes, which did not go as successfully as oh God. as Max's. the The first note I took, aside from thinking that Sydney saying that her parents had an anniversary for love, I wrote that down which too. I was so cute, it's so cute. But I put down, <laughs> I admire the crap out of Jasmine for going ahead with the sleepover. Because I don't think anyone would have blamed her if she didn't want to. I wouldn't have. But to me, it really felt like, wow, she is putting her money where her mouth is and putting Jabbar's needs over her own comfort. You know, Jabbar didn't do anything wrong. Why should he not get to have a sleepover that he's looking forward to? So I, I liked that aspect of her. Oh, yeah. I loved Jasmine in this episode. I feel like I feel like we got to know her in this episode in ways we we haven't yet we've wondered before sometimes like does she sometimes do that thing where you know she's mad at Crosby so she doesn't take him to Max's birthday party or or something and and hey I don't blame her that would be you know so tempting so easy to do but yeah it's like she is not the reason that they're not together right now Crosby's the one who really messed up but it made me wonder if on some level she's wondering even though Crosby blew this up and I'm mad at him and he deserves to have all this, his stuff dumped, you know, unceremoniously back on his boat. It makes me wonder if, if she's like, but he did say I was controlling and he did say these things. And I wonder if I should take a look at it, you know, and, and that would be so big because if someone wronged me, I'm not going to then wonder if they have a point about things that they've said about me. And so it makes me wonder if, if maybe some of the things he said are sinking in, even though, she could easily dismiss them now that he cheated. Yeah, I agree. I felt like we saw parts of her we hadn't seen before. One, we got to see, actually see her at work, yeah. which was nice. Although I couldn't believe Ugh. that Crosby interrupted her in the middle, not even just in the middle of a class, in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> and then when they go out in the hallway, you see on the door a giant sign <laughs> saying, no interruptions. <laughs> I, I just thought it was beyond inappropriate. Don't you dare tell me what I have to do. I just want no, for no, one second. No, no, I don't want to hear it. You know, I'm barely holding on right now. Do you understand that? Do you? What you did to me makes me sick. What you did to our family makes me sick. I don't even want to look at you. Don't come here again. Don't come here again. That's not how you get someone to forgive that's you. That's classic. <laughs> that's classic. That's classic Crosby. I mean, that's. That's what he does. He's, You're so right. He's just like his dad. <laughs> <laughs> he is so like his dad. You're so right. Zeke absolutely would have done that. He did do that. You know, Zeke's the one. Yeah. Who, yeah. It is yeah. something he shares with him, which is, and Melissa, you especially have noticed it before, of this Braverman instinct to, we have to resolve conflicts right now. And when Crosby interrupts her in class, he says, you have to talk to me. And not right now, Crosby. <laughs> and then the same thing happened when Zeke and Camille came over. How's my grandson doing? Tough to say. He's working through things 
in his own way, mm -hmm. at his own pace. So maybe it was for the best, then. Well, I don't know that I'd exactly put it that way. He but... was going to find out about it, so sooner is better than later. I, you know, Dad, I got to say, I'm having a tough time sitting here listening to you try to put a positive spin on this. You know, Gabby has been working for us for over a year trying to gain Max's trust, and she quit because of Crosby. So we're not looking at this like some sort of awesome development. Do you guys want any coffee or anything? No. Just... Thank you. Have you talked to your brother? No. I don't think that's a good idea. You should talk to him, don't you think? Blood is thicker than water. Come on. I mean, he, he made a mistake. It was a really bad thing he did, but he needs to talk to you. You're his brother. Is this why you came over here? You came over here to get me to, to talk to Crosby? Is that what this is? Do you know why he's irresponsible? It's because of you. Both of you are to blame for letting him get away with everything, for letting him off the hook for everything. Year after year, you, you make excuses for him, you do his laundry, you lend him money, you, you bail him out. He's a grown man. It's not my responsibility to make him feel better about this. You know, I'm spending all my energy trying to clean up this mess that Crosby made. He cheated on his fiance. It directly affected Max. And I don't care if he didn't mean to hurt anybody, he did. It's like he always does. He's selfish. And for you, of all people, to sympathize with that is unbelievable to me. It's amazing. You know, it's through all this, the incredible writing, they've stayed true to the movie that they the adaptation is of. I mean, that was so classic of the, those characters in the movie. So he's very much like his dad in that respect. And I always, my friends joke with me, they think that I'll be walking down the street and or I'll, we'll meet somebody and it's like, oh, okay, so are you going to diagnose that person too? Because um, <laughs> I <laughs> sort, of, sort of spend three minutes with the person and you know decide whether they're on the spectrum or not. But I always used to joke, I would go through, talk to my wife about the episodes and I wrote him and I said, you know, Zeke is, he's kind of on the spectrum a little bit himself. <laughs> and, um, it's just his, his brutalness and, you know, the brutally honest with things and and really no filter and some of the things that he did. Rigidity, rigidity he had. That has never occurred to me. Whoa, that blew my mind, but I totally see it <laughs> now that you say that. Wow. Um, that scene made me so angry. Okay, I, I, I have to be so careful how I phrase this because I don't want to talk out of turn, but I will say I know a little something about being the responsible sibling and having an irresponsible sibling. I'll just say that. I love you. I, my brother does not listen to this, but I love you, Dave, if you're listening. <laughs> but yeah, the idea that like when you're just kind of going along, doing everything you're supposed to do and you're supposed to be the bigger person like all the time. Like, I don't know. There was something about that where I got Adam's frustration. And I usually agree with Camille. I usually think whatever Camille says, voice of reason, I agree with her. But in this one, I was like, no, except when it comes to Crosby, because she's got that blind spot for him. She calls him goose and she does do all his laundry and she just, she's snowed by him. And, but, but I will say, I did think Adam went too far at the end when he kind of made like almost a personal note about you've yeah. been cheated on so you should be mad at Crosby too I thought well that's inappropriate don't do that <laughs> so it just made me think of, of what you said about they want everything resolved right away I never got the sense that Adam was never going to speak to Crosby ever again mm -mm. I feel like Adam understands yeah it's family he's your brother but but it, why does it need to be right now yeah I, it's still, especially when the whole situation with Max is actively ongoing. Yeah. You know, there was another scene in which Adam said to Crosby, I don't care that you're sorry. 
And I really related to that. I, I used to have a colleague at NYU who, like if we were in a rehearsal or something for a show and, and a student was late, they would rush in 10 minutes late or something and they'd say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And this teacher would say, I don't need you to be sorry. I need you to be here. And it was maybe a little rude, <laughs> but the sentiment I totally understood. I don't care why you're not here when what I need is someone standing in that spot or else we can't do our jobs. And when Adam's trying to tend to this whole situation, like he said in this scene, whether Crosby meant to do it or not, Adam has things he has to take care of. And right now it doesn't matter if Crosby's sorry. He'll get to that later. Intention versus impact. And I don't think it helps to pressure him. Well, and, and you know, it's that episode that, that the walkathon again, when Hattie and yeah. Amber had their thing and Adam was like, Saying to Hattie, you have to go, even though Amber's going to be there because we won't live forever. And I'm like, chill out. They're teenagers. They're probably not going to die tomorrow. Give them a week <laughs> to get over being mad at each other. <laughs> and same with Crosby and Adam. Like, yeah, they're always in such a hurry. They want the, those Bravermans, man. They want it when they want it. And sometimes space is better than than an immediate conversation. Let cooler heads prevail. Yeah. And then. Melissa, like you said, I feel like we saw a vulnerability in Jasmine that we had never seen. We've seen we've seen lots of scenes where she so, shows her strength, yes, and her assertiveness, and we've seen some scenes where she shows her temper, but I don't think we've ever seen this kind of vulnerability. All right, well, I'll pick her up first thing in the morning. You know, I'm anytime. I'm not working tomorrow, so have cool. fun. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> hey, guys, who wants to play hide and seek Israeli army stuff? Yes? All right. Here it is. Hey, we are here now. Don't be silly. We can we can hang out. No, you look so pretty, and I, I, I thought this was a special occasion. No, we were just gonna go eat. Really? Don't worry about it. We can go eat anytime. Okay, uh, who here wants some pizza? What do you guys like on it? Brussels sprouts? Thanks. Brussels of course. So beautiful. Like, not only that Jasmine kind of felt comfortable enough to be so vulnerable, but the, I mean, I'd forgotten that Julia and Joel just give up their anniversary plans. I'd, somehow I'd forgotten that. And so when that happened and I saw it this time, it was like I was seeing it for the very first time and I was stunned. I was like, what a beautiful thing to do. It's just such a gorgeous gesture. I loved it. It, it made me cry. <laughs> no surprise. <laughs> Sidebar, hats off to the makeup department or whoever's task it was to make Joy Bryant look anything less than like <laughs> perfect and radiant because you could even see even before she spoke in that scene that she was kind of going through something I felt like, yeah. and, or I mean, maybe the hats off is just to joy Bryant for portraying that. Yeah. But it also was so nice to show, you know, like the wronged woman could almost be a, a stereotype and we saw her throw things in the last episode and yell and, and be angry but that there's underneath all of that, of course, there's pain. And of course, she's hurt that he did this to her. And it was just such a nice sort of fleshing out of a character that we haven't seen this side of her much before. She was she was definitely breathtaking in that episode, in that scene. It was like, 
I don't remember her being that gorgeous. I mean, she was amazing. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And Julia too, when she says, you look so pretty. It's like, yeah, you do. You do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's an attractive cast. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's so interesting you say that because it's been, you know, years and years. And, and so I watched the previous episode along with this one, just to, to catch up. And it's like, Wow, they're all gorgeous. It's like <laughs> what a, an incredibly attractive cast. Yes. It's crazy town. I know. I'm just watching it. I'm like, everyone, <laughs> it's just beautiful. It's yeah. So anyway. Well, at the end of this <laughs> storyline, we get Joel making this promise to Julia. I will never cheat on you. No no. We've been through so much. And we're going to go through so much more, you know, good and bad. We're just, we're going to go through everything. And I will never, I will never cheat on you. I can't even handle that promise. Oh my God. It's so beautiful. Sorry. Go, go. See you. Oh no, go. <laughs> tell, tell me your thoughts on it. Yo, please tell us your thoughts, Wayne. Oh no! I was just gonna say. Speaking of attractive cast, my my wife is goo goo for Joel. She like she couldn't stop watching. It's like, is he in this episode? Tell her to watch the episode where he builds the desk. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> no, totally. No, um, it was kind of like Caleb with you when uh, a couple episodes back when Crosby and Jasmine have that horrible fight. It's when you see the the dishwasher and you're like, it's about to happen. The horrible fight's oh, uh -huh. about to happen. It was kind of like that for me when Joel came in and like sat down next to Julia and was like, I need to talk to you. I was like, oh, I remember this. I, I knew exactly what he was going to say, like from from seeing it five years ago or something that had seared itself. But I'd, I'd forgotten it was in this episode. And I was just like, what an incredible thing to say. Oh, and, see, and I felt like it was a little bit shoehorned in. Really? It felt a little out of place. Interesting. I mean, I guess I get it that I wasn't even considering that it's on their anniversary or like the day after but that he would see the toll that infidelity is taking on this other relationship and it might spark him to reassure his wife. I guess it all makes sense, but somehow to me, it just, it felt a little tacked on and that's not criticizing his performance at all. I, I thought he did it great, but it just felt like this is the end of this plot line. Okay. <laughs> I agree. I thought there was kind of an awkward scene. <laughs> Very sweet. No, I know. It just seemed kind of random. You know, hearing you both say this, I think I see you're what you're wrong, <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I get I you're right. You're right. Like, I don't think it actually needs to be there. And it's not like Julia was like wondering, I wonder if Joel's ever planning to cheat on me. Probably not. You know, like nothing like that. But I think maybe even though it might not have made perfect sense in the episode, I think I just loved it as a moment on its own. I think it's because I feel like it's really easy to make vows at the beginning of a relationship, but nobody mm. really ever makes vows when you're in it, you know, <laughs> like nobody makes a vow on their eight year anniversary. They, mm -hmm. they make it on their wedding day when they don't really know what the hell they're doing yet a lot of the time. And so I thought that was kind of a lovely thing. And even if it's out of nowhere, I'm like, I want to, I want to hear a man tell a woman, I will never cheat on you. It just does my heart so good. <laughs> so. You know, that makes me think, I feel like I heard somewhere, maybe it was like Joy Behar on The View once, 
But someone suggested the idea that marriages should have periodic renewals. Mm. Like you go to the DMV and get your license plate, you know, <laughs> renewed or your your license renewed. She said, you should do the same with your marriage. And then if you reach, you know, the next 10 years and it's not going so great, you don't have to get divorced. You just don't renew. <laughs> and But then if you want to recommit, then you go and you say, yeah, 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 we're still in this. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, see, yeah, I see. I, I don't want to take that risk. <laughs> <laughs> I may not be as lucky this next time if I try it again. Oh. Well, the last little story sees the return of Mark Sear. I just I wrote this thing and I don't know what it is. It just kind of came out of me and I didn't sleep and it felt really great. And then I was seized with this idea that I I, I wanted someone to read it and I thought of you and then when I put it under your door the feeling of wanting someone to read it was immediately replaced by intense regret and deep deep shame <laughs> um so that's the story and well, now I'll I just let you go it. about your day what I I'd, I'd love to read it I'd be honored <sighs> really yeah absolutely are you sure I'm I mean sure. now it's like I wrote it so yeah, chances are woo, yeah smelly. I'm sure I know everything you do is terrible <laughs> can I can I read it um, yes. Yes, you can. Thank you. I, I, uh, I think, yeah, I think this is good. This is really wonderful. Thank you. Fantastic. fantastic. <laughs> Anytime. It is fantastic. And it's, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. I actually thought it was quite plausible way of reconnecting those two characters. I did too. And I thought it really revealed how well he knows her because he he hasn't seen her in months and months. And when she makes that self-deprecating comment, like I wrote it, so it's probably, you know, smelly, it's pre pretty bad. And he says, I know everything you do is terrible. I'm like, <laughs> you know her so well that you know she thinks everything she does is terrible, that she's got this awful self-esteem. But he's able to like gently chide her about it in a way that isn't mean. It's like actually very supportive. I loved that. It was a small moment, but it I loved it. You can't get enough of those two. Their repartee is just amazing. They're, 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 when they dialogue with each other, it's just terrific. They're maybe my favorite couple on the whole show. I'm just going to throw that out there. I think you're absolutely right. Their, their connection, their repartee, it's just like lightning fast. And they just, they seem to really be actually cracking each other up and enjoying each other's company. It's wonderful to watch. I also felt like, uh, well, one random thing, when he comes to see her at night and scares her <laughs> that gave me like a huge belly laugh like beyond normal i i thought that sarah suddenly writing a play <laughs> is a little strange and yet oddly i i think i find it believable that like of all the things one could write without realizing that's what you wrote a, a play might mm. make the most sense because mm. it's not a form that people are necessarily well versed in, even though we consume so much scripted drama. Like how many average Americans go see plays a lot or read plays a lot? Probably not that many, but you might, you might write something that's kind of dialogue driven and character driven and thus it would naturally fall under the category of play. And so I thought, okay, I, I, I buy it. Yeah, I did too. I liked it a lot. I had thoughts about their scene at the end, specifically her ideas of criticism. <laughs> I literally wrote down, Melissa, is, <laughs> is this how you do it? 
if I remember how this goes, is you start off with two or three kind of generic, positive comments about my writing, you know, to make me feel good about myself. And then you follow this up with two or three super specific criticisms, which are so soul crushing because I realize in that moment how true they are. So if you want to just skip to those, that's fine, because I probably won't remember the positive comments by that time anyway, provided there are any, which may be too hopeful. <laughs> Is that what they teach you in English teacher school? <laughs> I thought Jason's next line was terrific. I mean, the, the, the line after that where he just says, you've just reduced my entire career to nothing. <laughs> yeah. it was, that was an amazing line. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I'm an English teacher as well. And I thought, well, I try very hard to have specific suggestions, but also specific praise. I think that it's all important. And so I think... Sometimes when people are just trying to get to the criticism because there's not a lot of good there, then yes, maybe their their praise will be generic. And I guess what she was ultimately afraid of was that he just didn't like it and she didn't want him to bother, you know, saying nice things if he didn't really mean them. But I think what kind of broke my heart a little, so I was in a poetry workshop group for 14 years before I, I moved to the town where I live now. And we met every other Sunday and we brought enough copies of that week's poem for everyone in the group. And the whole point was to get praise, yes, <laughs> but mostly to get suggestions because, you know, of course we wouldn't grow if um, it was just everyone fawning over each other. This was so good. It was great. Don't change anything. And it made me a little worried that Sarah has such low self-esteem that all she could really handle to believe that she was a good writer was type it and finish it. It's perfect. I have no other notes. Part of me was like, you have no other notes. She wrote a play and she's never written a play. There's nothing you could tell her that could make it better. And then I thought, well, maybe he just knows her well enough to know that's not what she needs. And maybe that's why he slipped the book in. She'll learn from the book. I'm not going to be the one to tell her, you know, she could just maybe read this and I'll just be supportive. Because maybe what was more important for her in that moment was to be built up. And he maybe got that. She was so self-conscious about it. And he saw that. And I, so I, I, I ended on the side of that's beautiful. But part of me was worried. I'm like, oh, no, are all my students taking any suggestions I give them this hard? And I should only start <laughs> saying nice things to them and not not give them any advice. I don't know. Those were all my thoughts about that. Yeah, I, no, I thought that was well played because for the reasons that you said. It's, you know, he hadn't seen her in a year, right, at least. And so the first critique is. You know, he wanted to be supportive, but there'll be plenty of times to go back over it again down the road. And that's a smart observation about, you know, when I, I don't give written feedback to people, but when I'm coaching a singer or an actor, a big part of feeling out the dynamic is understanding how that person is going to take notes. Mm -hmm. And some people take criticism easier than others. And you realize, oh, I can just, I can be blunt and they're not going to take it personally. And and okay, that's how I'll do it. And other people are really insecure or or just how they are made that you got to be smarter about how you arrive at <laughs> the adjustment you need. And yeah, I think that is probably exactly what he did. I think so too. I think he, and, and you know, I think he- Also, he has a crush on Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, true. He's like, I want her to call me back over again. <laughs> like, I don't want this to be the last time we ever speak. But I think it was very obvious, too, that he really loved what she wrote. I mean, the thing is, he called it funny. And obviously, that's a big part of what draws them to each other is that humor. And, and you know, mm -hmm. 
he likes her. It makes sense he would like her writing. He liked her writing before he knew it was her writing, you know, when Amber plagiarized that essay. And he was like, what a beautiful essay. And and so, yeah, it totally makes sense that that he really genuinely loves it. I just hope maybe down the line, if he has a suggestion or someone has a suggestion, she'll be able to handle it, you know, because I think that's how that's how artists grow is is by getting that that feedback. And I worry if her self-esteem is so low, will she ever be able to hear a note without thinking she's terrible at this? She should never write another word again, because that's certainly not what someone would mean. I'm also thinking now I never thought of this about this specific storyline. But Melissa, you've talked before about that there are different kinds of intimacy. And I feel like I've especially heard you talk about it when talking about infidelity storylines and that you say, you know, there's lots of ways that you can kind of violate the spirit of fidelity. And it occurs to me now, this is a form of intimacy to share something that you wrote, something that's very personal, it seems, that she's so afraid to show anyone that she picks him to allow to see it. That's very intimate thing. And I feel like the way he handled it in return showed that he understands that kind of intimacy. I hope that means they are heading to reconnecting on multiple levels, not just uh, (laughs) English. (laughs) Yeah, me too, for sure. (laughs) Well, all in all, I thought this was just such a great episode. It was a nice, like you said, a nice solace after the one before it, where there was so much upheaval. And especially around Max's storyline, it could have so easily felt like very special episode. And I didn't think it did at all. I thought it it handled that so beautifully. And then the other storylines felt woven in just enough Mm -hmm. to not take the spotlight away, but also to have some contrast and some levity. I thought it was one of the best. I did too. Even though, like you said, it was like less screen time to the others, I like to think that maybe they chose storylines that would be, I don't know, they didn't they didn't have Julia talking to someone who just got breast implants in this episode. You know what I'm saying? Like they you know, like nothing kind of sillier or lighter or or anything. It felt like they wanted to match the the seriousness, you know, of of Max, but in a totally different way. You know, it felt to me like like let's have the same level of resonance, I guess, in in every episode, in every storyline. And I loved that. I thought that that made the Max storyline shine even more. That it was just such a good quality episode all around. Wayne, what were your overall thoughts watching it again? Yeah, it was terrific. Um, it, like, it brought back some really good memories. I, I was just jokingly going to say, I thought the previous episode was the best episode because if you looked really closely in the basketball scene, you would have seen me running up and down the court with those guys. What? Really? <laughs> wow. Oh, I'm totally going to yeah. watch that again and like <laughs> pause for it. That's so cool. <laughs> that, was, that was my, after failing the audition for Pelican, uh, the next season I said, okay, well, if you need a basketball player, I can nail that role for sure. <laughs> did you really audition to play Pelican? I did. It was, it was, it was when they were Jason and Larry Trilling, one of the lead producers, when they were casting for it, they said, we've seen a few people and they need to be more like Wayne. I mean, that's because of, you know, <laughs> so I guess one of them said to the other, cause well, let's just try them. Let's use, what's that Wayne do it. So, they called me in. They said, come in tomorrow and read for it. And I've never done anything like this before. So I 
<laughs> I was rehearsing the lines with my wife, horrible. And I said, I can't do this. This is just ridiculous. I can't do it. And she said, no, no, let's go over them again. And we went over them again and a couple more times. And she looked at me, she said, you're right. You can't do this. You're horrible. <laughs> Uh, that's the best uh, story i was so, i was so horrible and larry said just forget the script just do what you do i couldn't i couldn't do it he wow. was very kind he said that was great you know i said we just got to clear it up above and i said yeah okay i get what that means <laughs> oh man i'm so glad you told us that that is that is great <laughs> did Love you that. ever consult with tom and mandy's i think his name is or like minka kelly characters who aren't autistic but are interacting no i didn't but i did suggest that minka needed more coaching and that i should be the person to do that <laughs> <laughs> oh very clever <laughs> why wouldn't you <laughs> love it well i think that will do it for us for this episode wayne we can't thank you enough this, is this wonderful. was so wonderful <laughs> thanks for having me it was really fun Got to reminisce a little bit from, about the past. Now I'm going to probably go back and start watching it again. <laughs> Yay. It's perfect. Go for it. It's perfect. The music's terrific. It's just so often I would Shazam a song. I'd say, wow, that song's great. I want to get that song. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've found that like, really, it has been the ultimate in comfort TV during a pandemic. I'm like, everyone should be watching this. It would make everyone feel so much better. <laughs> well, thanks for doing what you guys do. It's terrific. And I'm sure lots of people are enjoying it. And good for you guys. Well, thank you. We hope so. Thank, thank you. you to all of our listeners. Uh, yes, please um, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like us on Facebook. We are Parenthood Pals everywhere. And you can always find us at parenthoodpals.com. <laughs> Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.